Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, it's great to see you all back this morning. It's a wonderful day to be here. I can't believe it's the first Sunday of August. August is a great month, but I don't like the month that comes after August. I don't know about you. I love the summer, but we're still holding on. Right? How many of you have not gone on your summer trip yet? Yeah, a bunch of you. All right, so next week when you're not here, we're going to judge you, okay? So make sure you find a church when you're on vacation. We're so glad to see you. Listen, when you came in, you received your bulletin and connection card. It's one single sheet, has a lot of announcements on the top, and then on the bottom is a card that you can tear off. Go ahead and grab that for me right now if you could. I would love it if you would tear it off and begin to fill it out. We would love to receive a connection card from everyone who's here today. It's especially my privilege to welcome you if you are a guest. We have guests at Beacon every single week, and it's always our honor and privilege to host you, and we would love to stay connected with you, so you can give us as much or as little information as you're comfortable with, but the more we're able to stay in touch, the more that we can help you as you consider next steps in your faith. We can also help you to register for events, and we can be praying for you and what's going on in your life. We take all the prayer requests that come from the congregation very seriously. We pray over them every single week. There's a team of people dedicated to praying for you, and I hope that you're bringing your requests to them, to us, so that we can be praying for you. If you're more of a digital person, you can also text, uh, connect to the phone number on the screen, and you'll get a digital connection card that's different every single week. However, your phone will kind of remember you, and it'll get quicker and easier the more you do that. So I love to do the digital card. It's really quick and easy. Um, In a couple of minutes, the ushers will also come to receive this morning's financial gifts, this morning's tithes and offerings. Listen, if you're a guest, please don't feel compelled in any way to give money. That's not what we're about here at the church. This is a time for people who say, Beacon Church is my church. They come together to faithfully support the ministries that are happening here. And there's always a lot that's going on, and there's always even more that could be done. And this is an important part of our worship that we give back to God, uh, what he's so generously given to us. And so um, this is a time that we do that. Also, there's a lot of online giving options as well, if you're more of a digital person. And if this is all happening a little too quick for you, if you have a lot of prayer requests to write or you're just kind of still working on it, there's always a box in the back right by the door. You can slip your connection card and an offering envelope into if you want to. And you can do that at any point in the morning. I've had people tell me, you know, sometimes by the end of the service, my prayer requests are different than when I got here, which makes sense, actually, if you've spent time worshiping. By the end of the service, you may be praying about something different. You're allowed to put in another card. We allow it, okay? You can also submit another digital card because whatever God is doing in your life, we want to meet you there. We want to equip you in that. So ushers, why don't you go ahead and come? That would be great. I also want to give you a little bit of an update. If you were here last week, you've already heard this update, but in the summer, not everyone is here every week, and I want to make sure that everyone knows what is happening. We have a portable church update. We've been talking about this over the course of the summer. Uh, We bought that. That's what we have. It's in the parking lot. It's going to be exciting. We're going to have 57 services. It's going to be great. Um, That's my trumpet, and that's Anya at the bottom. Don't we look great? Um, 
So we, for a long time, have been fighting space problems here in this building. And we love to fight space problems because that means more people are coming and more people are getting connected into a spiritual family and are growing in their faith. But it's also just a practical issue that we need to work on. We can get crowded in here for worship, as you know. Many of you know we get the most crowded downstairs during Kids Quest. We have to close rooms and kids can't get into class which makes us super sad. And so we've been trying to find where we could have more space for worship. So what we're going to do this fall is we are going to become a portable church. We'll be moving our Sunday morning ministries, everything that happens on Sundays, both for adults and for kids, and this whole experience, the cafe and worship and Kids Quest and connection after the service, all that is just gonna move about two miles to a school called the Viscardi Center. It's in Albertson, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's on the corner of IU Willits Road and Searingtown Road. It's very close to here. It's also very close to the LIE and the Northern State. So I think for all of you, you're going to be able to get there just as easy as you get here, if not easier. And there's going to be tons more space. You know, for worship, there's going to be as much space as we need. We're actually going to be able to set up as many chairs as we want. For connection, there's going to be even more space. We're going to have a, an actual lobby there, which, you know, right now we really don't. We have kind of a, you know, a, a vestibule, right? That's it. There's going to be this huge space where you can hang out, you can have coffee, you can talk to people. You won't even have to leave when the next service starts if you came to the first service. We're also going to have many big classrooms for the kids. And so we're really excited to see the impact that's going to have on children's ministry as they have all the room they need and more. So stay in touch. We're going to be letting you know probably around mid-October, around the 14th is when we're going to move over there. We'll have a few services and then um, we'll sort of consider it to be launched and open to the world in early November more than likely. So we're very excited about this and I hope that you will be too. We had a couple of great questions. The most common question is how many services are we going to have over there? We will still have two worship services in the morning for a couple of reasons. The most important reason to us, honestly, is having two worship experiences invests best into children's ministry because that means you can have your same children's ministry teachers, Kids Quest, every single week. They can teach their class and they can participate in worship with their church every single week. And that is just the best way we know of to have a high quality children's program. Also having a service around 9.30 and around 11.30, that gives more people an opportunity if you, you, know, if you need to get up and go or if you have to be somewhere, there's just kind of more options to be there for worship. So that's kind of what we're looking at mid-October, 9.30 and 11.30. But of course, you're going to hear so much more about it between now and then. And it's going to be really, really cool. So we're looking forward to that. So we have our fusion missions teams that are all on their way home today as well. So we're going to pause right now. We're going to pray both for those teams and then just for our time together. So let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you are here. We've been singing it from the very first song and we're just reminded that your presence is in this room and we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we don't have to wonder if we have your attention, but that you are in this room speaking even now. God, we specifically lift up in prayer today our fusion missions teams as they're traveling, both those who are driving down from Oswego and those who are flying home from Guatemala. We thank you for the time of ministry that they've had. I pray that they would travel safely today and that you would be sealing in their hearts the work that you've been doing this week as they've been doing ministry in your name, that they would be forever changed they would see a growth and maturity from you as a result of this experience. We pray that you return them to us safe. I also pray for our time now that we spend in your word, that our hearts would be open, that we would hear what you have for us today, and we would grow 
in this vital area that you're calling us to. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away. But prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this. God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. You know, when we talk about prayer, it almost seems simple, right? I mean, Christians should be praying. But I don't know about you, but as you start to think about prayer, I always have some questions in my mind. In fact, there's almost a paradox surrounding prayer. There's a tension there that I've always kind of sensed, and I kind of wonder if you have too. Because we're called to be people of prayer, right? But if God is all-knowing, and he already knows what I'm going to ask for, why do I need to pray? Or, since God is all-knowing, he already knows what's best, why does he need to hear from me? Because that seems like a bad idea. Like, here's God, created the heavens and the earth, he knows everything that needs to happen, why does he need to hear from Chris? I don't know if this has ever happened to you, happened to me. I like to coach baseball, okay? I love to coach. I love the kids, the parents. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that I'm God. I'm really not. But I've been coaching for a long time. My teams do pretty well. And every now and then you'll have one of these parents that comes up and like, you know, if you would just do this differently. And I'm thinking, of course, I'm always kind because I'm Pastor Chris from Beacon. But I'm thinking, you're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, if my son could just pitch. He did pitch two games ago. He walked every kid. Has he become Nolan Ryan like in the last eight days? I doubt it. You know, and something, and when it comes to prayer, like God already knows. Why does he need to hear from me? Or what if you and I are praying for opposite things? The Yankees have been playing the Red Sox all weekend. I think there's been a lot of competing prayers going up over these games, right? Apparently, the Red Sox fans are a little bit more dialed in this week because we keep getting crushed, which hurts me. We're going to pray about that after the service. But how does God sort that out when our prayers are conflicting? Or what if my prayers are for someone to change? I'm praying for someone that I think needs to grow or needs you know, to come out of something that's a serious issue in their life. But God doesn't violate the free will of individuals. So can I pray for someone to change? Does that even make sense? There's a lot of these kind of paradoxes that surround prayer that I think are deep and meaningful questions that we should wrestle with as we start to think about what prayer really is, what it really means. Because the irony of all ironies for me, the paradox is praying should be the easiest thing there is. You're just talking to God. And yet many people will tell you that it's very hard and that they don't know how to do it. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us this morning to really dig into this topic of prayer. And so we're looking 
at Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to turn there, and everyone's going to need to have a Bible today because we're going to read part of this out loud. So if you, if you like to use an app, that's awesome. We use the translation called the NIV most often, the New International Version, so pick that one. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the room, they're scattered around. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. If you're not sure uh, which app to use, um, we would also love to show you which Bible apps we like. But make sure you have one because we're going to read this out loud. Matthew 6 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount all summer, which is Jesus teaching. And it's important to know what type of audience was there. This was a religious audience already. They already knew the Old Testament, which they would have just called the law. They already knew the traditions of their religion. And Jesus was teaching them how to go so much further than simply tradition and religion, how to have true, deep, and meaningful faith. And so in chapter 6, the first three topics that Jesus unpacks are all regular parts of traditional religion. First, he talks about giving to the poor, almsgiving. Second, he talks about prayer. That's where we're going to focus today. And third, he talks about fasting, which is another spiritual discipline somewhat similar to prayer. So Jesus is going to talk to them about, listen, this is what you've been doing already, but here's how you can make it deeper. Here's how you can make it more meaningful. Here's how you can make it appropriate and acceptable in the light of the fact that Jesus has now come. So we're going to read the section on prayer. I'll read first, but I'm going to invite you into it in just a second. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This, then, is how you should pray. Join me in reading this, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we'll stop there for today. How many of you have prayed that prayer before? Yeah, like 99.9% of us. This is a normal part of Christian practice which means we're exactly like the audience that Jesus was talking to. Jesus was saying, yes, you already understand prayer, but there's so much more that you can unpack, and that's what we're going to try to do today. And so if you're a note taker, we're going to start with this. Now, you don't have to take notes if you don't want to. You are going to need them to get into heaven, though, okay? So <laughs> first one is this. There's going to be three Ps. Prayer is proximity. I wanted to say closeness, but all the other points ended up with Ps, so I had to change it, okay? Prayer is proximity. There's a closeness. There's an intimacy that we have with prayer. We have direct access to God. It is personal. That's why it starts by saying our Father. Now, Jesus kind of talked about before he said the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, whatever you like to call it. He actually had an extended section where he talked about how you should be praying in secret. And I want to talk about that for a minute because I, I don't want to explain it away but I think you can easily take that section too far. Remember, this is part of a larger chapter. First, Jesus talked about giving to the poor. Then he talked about prayer. Then he talked about fasting. And in all three of these sections, he has a uniform structure because he's trying to make sure you understand it's not about what people see you doing. It's about what's actually happening in your heart. 
Okay, so in the section on giving to the poor, this is where he said you, that the right hand should not know what the left hand is doing. Have you ever heard that idiom? That's where he was talking about giving to the poor, saying, don't give so that people know. It should be done quietly, confidentially. In fact, the right hand shouldn't even know what the left hand is doing. Then in our section, he said, when you pray, you should go into a locked room and you should pray. And then afterwards, when he's talking about fasting, it actually says, when you're fasting, put some oil in your hair and put some oil on your face so you don't look terrible says it. Because it's not about people seeing you fast. It's about what's actually happening in your heart while you fast. And so that is the structure that we're talking about. So when he's saying, don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners loudly, he's talking about the Pharisees. That was one of their habits. It's one of the ways that they demonstrated their Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. We don't really have anything like that today. Um, they were like a known ruling class of religious leaders. And they would pray out loud on the street corner to demonstrate to you, the common folk, how they were so much more pious and holy than you. And Jesus was saying, that's not what prayer is. It's not a performance. It's something that's between you and God. And that's why he says you should do it quietly and privately. But just because it's personal doesn't mean it should be always solitary, Okay. A solitary prayer is great and it's important and it's a d discipline that many of us could grow in. But praying together is also an incredible opportunity for unity, okay? If you pray with your church, you will grow in the unity of the faith with your church. If you pray with your small group, you will grow in unity and love for each other. If you pray with your spouse, your marriage will be strengthened. The love between you will be strengthened as you're looking to God together. If you pray with your children, your family relationships will be strengthened. So this does not mean you should always be praying alone by yourself. It means make sure you're not praying to pull it on a show, okay? Because if your prayer is just a show, that's pointless because that's not personal. Remember, we're talking about proximity. Prayer is close proximity. Make sure your motivation is pure. And then we call God Father. That's a beautiful, sacred privilege to call the Almighty God Father. Because to know someone as a father is a very close relationship. Now, for some of you, the analogy of God as Father is very helpful because you have a great dad. He was great to you growing up. If he's still alive, you have a great relationship today. And you can think, wow, I know how my earthly father is. The heavenly father is even greater. But for other people, to think of God as father is very difficult because dad wasn't good. Dad was difficult or dad was corrupt. So remember, this is talking about God the father as the perfect, holy, wholesome father who loves you, who protects you, who always wants the best for you, who corrects you when needed. That is the type of father that God is to us. And so to call him father shows humility, it shows trust, it shows honor. It also shows closeness and even intimacy. And then we say immediately, God, our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a very old word. It holds on in the Lord's Prayer because there's so much tradition attached to it. But it's really about showing God's name the highest level of respect and reverence that we could. If you remember, this is one of the oldest commandments in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments, right? About not taking the name of the Lord in vain. We're still called to show God's name the highest level of respect. As you would expect, a person's name represents everything about them. And so to, to curse their name or to defame their name is to insult them personally. 
In fact, have you ever heard of the unpardonable sin? Have you ever heard that? People ask me sometimes, what is the unpardonable sin? Because you think, what if I accidentally did that one? Then I'm like, before I even started, right? The unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is ongoing, blatant, unrepented disrespect for the name of God. So this is tightly pulled together. So immediately in our prayer, we're showing God's name, therefore God, the highest levels of respect and love and honor. You know, and when we sing, that's one of the things we often focus on is the beauty, the strength, and the power of Jesus' name. We want to show that respect to God. But we've stated it as a given that we have a personal connection to God the Father through prayer. But why? Why do we have that personal connection? It wasn't always this way. In the Old Testament, yes, you could always pray, but there was always a significant divide, a significant barrier between God and his people. And the priests would stand in that gap. They would arrange and they would take care of sacrifices. Then as the traditions build, they would arrange and take care of special feasts, special festivals, all of this to try to bring God closer to his people. But God was always kept away. And this personal, deep connection that we have with God the Father is only made possible through Jesus, through the person of Christ. It was through his death that that gap between God and man was removed. And now we have direct personal access to God. It says it this way in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have access to God the Father through the Son. A lot of people, when they pray, they will end their prayer by saying, in Jesus' name. You've heard this, right? It might just be a habit, but I want you to know this is where the habit comes from because we have direct access to God in Jesus' name. And so if you end your prayers with that by saying, in Jesus' name, that is altogether holy, appropriate, and it's great because you're just reminding yourself at the end of your prayer, wow, this, this time of prayer that I had was, was I have access to God through the person of Christ. Now, the Lord's Prayer does not end with in Jesus' name, but it's actually there because it's at the beginning. Because to say our Father is putting yourself into that sonship, which is a shared heirship with Jesus. And we're going to get to that. Because we not only have access through Jesus, but Jesus is no longer walking on the earth. And when Jesus left, he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did come, and the Holy Spirit is now on the earth. And so when we pray, we are led and guided by the Holy Spirit. So led by the Spirit through Christ into a close relationship with the Father. Stay with me. It sounds technical, but it's not. Okay? Because we've talked about this as the Trinity, right? God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And you see that whole relationship visible in prayer. People ask, do you pray to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? Because they're all God, I truly believe none of those is wrong. If you are praying to Jesus, that is great. If you're praying to the Holy Spirit, that is great. Um, Jesus usually prays to the Father. So most people pick that up and say, I, I prefer to pray to the Father as Jesus prayed to the Father. But again, 
I'm not saying you, that that's like credo or anything, okay? But we have access through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. Again, Romans says it better than I can. Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. <clears throat> the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Our Father, through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. So beyond prayer as proximity, think prayer is also partnership. For me, this is the biggest question. Trying to understand how prayer is partnership with God. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as we begin to go into to the participation of God's ministry, we see God has always chosen to use people in the accomplishment of his work. You can think of many examples that we touch even now in our own lives and in the way that we relate to God's ministry through this prayer as partnership. For example, think of poverty, right? As a church, and also many of you personally, you're working to bring justice to the areas of poverty in the world. Why does God use you in that? When people are hungry, he could simply rain food down on them from heaven. He has done it before. But instead, God is saying to us, I'm giving to you this ministry so that you can be working in the area of poverty. Or think of something like education and mentorship. God might be calling you into a relationship of mentorship to help people see and learn more about Jesus. Why does he need you to do that? Why can't God simply reveal himself directly to those who he wants to? Because God uses his people in partnership to accomplish his ministry. Think of something as simple as the gift of encouragement. You know, many of you have the gift of encouragement. You know, you, when people are around you, they just start feeling better because you tell them like, hey, it's good to see you. Wow, that's a nice shirt. Man, you're so good looking. You're so smart. Whatever. I just, or sometimes you have actual real meaningful encouragement that really speaks into people's lives. And that's a real gift that you might have. Why does God use you to encourage anyone? Why can't the Spirit just simply encourage them internally? God chooses to use his people in partnership to accomplish his ministry. That is simply how he chooses to get ministry done. And prayer is no different. When God says to, me, says to us, bring your requests to me. Bring what needs to happen in this world to me. He is pulling you into partnership with what he is doing in the world. Because, of course, God can simply act as he sees fit, and he does. But by pulling you into partnership, he is using his people in ministry through prayer. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Remember that, in my name. We talked about that. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says it again. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So God pulls his people into ministry partnership in prayer. And out of this, I think, comes a very difficult question. Does that mean if we do not pray that God will not act? Because that's what scares me. 
thinking, God, you know what needs to be done. If I missed it, or if I don't have the prayer life that I should, does that mean you're not going to act? That's a hard truth to think about. But what does it say in James 4? Starting in verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. There is a reality that exists that when we opt out of the partnership of ministry, there is good that God wanted to bring into this world that does not happen. Now, does that mean we're able to ultimately thwart the mission of God? I don't think so, but it still means there are opportunities that are forever lost. Think of this hypothetical. You are going to the train tomorrow. You're on your way to the office. You get there, and there's a homeless person there at the train station. And today, you're really feeling led to do something about it. But you don't. You decide, you know what? That guy's probably just going to use the money for the wrong stuff. Or you're thinking, man, I, you know, I don't have my August monthly yet. I got to get this done. I'm going to have to do this tomorrow or whatever. So for whatever reason you don't do it, you get on the train, you go to the city. Does that mean that this homeless person is going to die today because you did not feed them? Probably not. In fact, I actually believe that God will prompt someone else and that person will take care of them. But the opportunity for ministry that you had which would have changed you both just a little bit, both you and the person you were called to minister to, that is forever lost. And that's an opportunity that wouldn't come back. And I think the same goes for prayer. That when we had opportunities to partner with God and we didn't do it, that there are moments and times of ministry that could have happened that simply won't now. That's part of the free will that we have. God can create opportunities in advance for us to do good for him, and we may not walk in it. So prayer is our opportunity to partner with him. All right, lastly, prayer is powerful. And we know this. We love this. This is our favorite part about prayer, right? We know that prayer unleashes God's almighty power into the world, and God can do what only he can do. Prayers of healing may be answered. You know, prayers of you know, of restoration may be answered. And only God can do those things. And so we regularly bring to him the things that are only his to say, God, we need you to do what only you can do because of the power of prayer. And we've seen that because of partnership, those things will not happen otherwise. But we know this. But I think there's another power of prayer that's even closer to us that we can start to think about. Prayer not only changes the world. I mean, James 5 says it very clearly. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We know this. But prayer doesn't just change the world. Prayer changes us. When we are spending time with God in prayer, that is the time that God begins to change us. God begins to help us grow God begins to help us mature, that we start to become the people that he's created us to be. God is literally changing you during prayer. And I say literally on purpose because scientists have started studying it. In fact, what they've done is they've put people into an MRI machine and they will give them an MRI of their brain while they are praying. Okay? Two years ago, NYU Langone did a study. It was published in the Journal of Drug and Alcohol Abuse. It took participants of Alcoholics Anonymous, they volunteered to be in the study, and they were under the MRI, and they showed these participants images 
that caused them to experience cravings for the old life. And then, Alcoholics Anonymous step 11, by the way, is centered on prayer. These people who had experienced praying, they prayed that God would remove from them this sense of longing, this sense of craving. And in the MRI, they could see changes in parts of the prefrontal cortex responsible for the control of emotion and the semantic reappraisal of emotion. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but obviously, as they were praying, they could see the change in the structure and the interactions of their brains during prayer. Dr. David Spiegel, Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at um, Stanford, decent school. He says, praying involves the deeper parts of the brain, the medial prefrontal cortex and the posterior cingulate cortex, the mid, front, and back portions. According to Dr. Spiegel, these specific parts of the brain help with reflection and calming. Interestingly, Dr. Spiegel notes that at the same time these parts of the brain are activated, other parts of the brain, which create the initiative to take rash action, are inactivated. So during prayer, the parts of your brain that can be reflecting and calm are activated. The parts of your brain that make stupid decisions are not. It goes on and on and on. Dr. Loretta Bruner, she said that during prayer, hormones are released, such as octi oxytocin. Oxytocin enables social trust and attachment, giving us a good feeling of despite living in a world of threat. It's the idea that I can count on something to protect me. So when a situation comes up and you are helpless, prayer provides a source of hope. And I have more. It is in study after study after study that people who are praying, they undergo changes that you can see in the MRI. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And you're thinking, yeah, but how do you know that's Christ-centered prayer? Like, Meditation has never been more popular than it is now. I mean, it's published in Scientific American. It was in Time Magazine. There's been books written about this, that meditation is good for the brain. And that is true. I was at the Barclays Center this week for a conference, and at the basketball stadium, there's a meditation room, which if you're a Nets fan, you totally understand why you would need to go and pray for the team, or Islanders, sorry, had to say it. The reason for that is simple, and it, you can say this about a lot of different things. All truth is God's truth. So yes, scientists and people are starting to see how, how meditation is good for the brain. That's only a sliver of what God and Christ-centered prayer can actually do for your life. So yes, regularly, you will see people pick up parts of the Bible, turn them into good habits, and their life is slightly enriched. And that's the same here. People say, I'm going to find, you know, this is like the Headspace app and others. There's nothing wrong with these things. Just because they're not Christ-centered, it's such a small little piece of what you could be experiencing through prayer and through meditation. An old saint, Oswald Chambers, he said it this way. To say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying, prayer changes me, then I change things. And I think that's really the power of prayer that we can sit in today that when we are willing to spend time in prayer, God is changing us. I mean, the, the prayer of the believer, once, once you start to get to know Jesus, 
I don't want to speak for you, but most people, their prayers become some variation of, God, help me to continue to grow, continue to help me change, continue to help me become the person you want me to be from the inside out. And I think starting with your brain counts as from the inside out. That this time that we spend in prayer is, is deeply meaningful. So why don't we do it? I mean, the very first verse that I read today said, don't be like the hypocrites. So I, I, I can't be a hypocrite. I'm not great at this. I don't know why. The power of prayer is undeniable, but yet I've, I've convinced myself that I'm a doer and that I'm active and that I'm out there. And the scripture is telling us the praying is the doing. I mean, this is the participation in ministry. This is when we're changed. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to sing in just a minute. But as we think about this a little bit more about prayer, I read another study this week. It was done in Sweden. They did a study of a choir. They, they had the whole choir, they wore heart monitors as they were singing. And as they started to sing, as they all kind of arrived at rehearsal, it was just what you'd expect, just like with a room like this. Everyone's hearts were beating at different rates. You know, some were high, some were low. A lot of that depends, of course, on your physical fitness, the kind of day you've been having, stress level, hydration, all that stuff. We get that, right? But as they started to sing together, and part of singing together means that you're going to breathe together, as the choir would sing together, their heart rates began to converge. They began to become in a closer and closer range. And actually, choirs that have been together for a while, their hearts will beat in unison at the same time. So whose heart is your heart beating with? Because when we spend time with God in prayer, that's when our heart becomes aligned with his heart. That's when our heart beats with his heart. That's how we begin to see the world with his eyes. That's how we begin to serve the world with his hands. It's how we start to go out into the world with his feet as our hearts become aligned with his. So I want to invite you to stand. And as we sing this, that's our goal in, in praise and in prayer that our hearts would be aligned with his as we sense his heartbeat, our hearts would beat with his.